Today, I want to introduce you to a guy by the name of Bobby. Now, I could tell you a lot about Bobby, but in the interest of time, I want to boil it down to the most pertinent information so that you can get to know Bobby the fullest and the quickest. And so I want you to just know this to start, that Bobby is a Bible-believing Christian. Now, you might wonder what that means. To Bobby, it means that he engages with this book as the Word of God. Bobby would be quick to quote to you 2 Timothy 3.16 that says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. From Bobby's perspective, God has breathed into this book. This book is God's written word and the way that the God of the universe relates to Bobby. Bobby believes in that and as a result is a Bible-believing Christian. Thing is, it's kind of hard sometimes for the people around Bobby to really understand or appreciate that. You know, his employees, for example, feel the harshness of his management on a daily basis and wonder where that comes from. But from Bobby's perspective, he'd just quote the Bible that says a worker's worthy of their wages and it's their job to deliver. Similarly, uh, Bobby struggles with his home life with his relationship with his adult kids, mostly because of the way that they were raised while they lived in the home where Bobby wasn't just harsh, at times he was even violent. But Bobby would stick by his guns and say, you know what the Bible teaches, spare the rod, you spoil the child. Of course, Bobby's wife was never really gonna speak into things because she's Bible-believing as well, and in being Bible-believing, understands the scriptures to teach that the husband is actually the head of the home and all of Bobby's wife's friends from church would dare not say a word because they're Bible-believing Christians as well and they can quote the verse that says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. They must be silent. And so Bobby's home life and his work life remain relatively unchecked while Bobby serves on the board of his church, a church that tries to keep people on the outside out because as the Bible says, people of faith are God's chosen and holy people. When it comes to their church making a difference in their community, they're quite apathetic because again, Bible says the poor, well, the poor you will always have among you. And that probably gives you a, a pretty good snapshot of who Bobby is as a Bible-believing Christian. The question we want to look at today is, how does that happen? H how does someone so sincerely or at least so seriously believe to be rooted in the Word of God and yet so often or so significantly kind of miss the heart of God? that so many of us intuitively understand to be God's heart. Well, one of the most significant issues that's going on is actually how someone like Bobby understands the Bible, how someone like Bobby believes in the Bible, how they read it, how they understand there to relate to it, and ultimately how they believe in it as a Bible-believing Christian. You know, for starters, I would want someone like Bobby to be able to take a step back and first things first, appreciate the big picture of the Bible. 
Because the Bible, in as much as it's 66 individual books written by a variety of different authors and a variety of different literary genres at a variety of different times in human history, the Bible is both God-breathed through those original authors and kind of orchestrated by God to tell one single story kind of the big picture of the single story of God's activity throughout human history. We've discussed in this environment before that every story follows a very predictable pattern or structure. We call it the monomythic cycle. The word mono meaning one, the word myth meaning story, the word cycle referring to a pattern or a structure. And when it comes to a story, a story follows this very predictable pattern that begins with an original ideal, kind of the one once upon a time moment, where all of a sudden conflict emerges and then things escalate and the plot thickens as things go from bad to worse. Where suddenly, at a point of rock bottom, a surprising twist appears that moves the story in an upward direction in an era of restoration that ultimately leads to a superior ideal. You know, the, the happily ever after moment that's better than the once upon a time. And you could think about your favorite stories, whether it's Cinderella or Star Wars, and realize that they all follow that very predictable pattern, as does the story of God's activity front to back in the pages of the Bible. And so following that monomythic cycle, we can see that the story begins in the very first chapters of the very first book, the book of Genesis, in creation. But then just three chapters in, the fall happens and sin is introduced. That's where conflict emerges. Throughout the entire Old Testament of the Bible, then, things go from bad to worse in an escalating way that illustrates the futility of humanity to address the issue of sin on our own. And if you're a keener, you can appreciate that that happens through four major phases or eras in the Old Testament. There's the establishment of the nation of Israel that illustrates the futility of the strategy of a closed community. There's the establishment of the Jewish law that ultimately illustrates the futility of the strategy of just trying to be committed to and clear on the rules. Then there's the era of the kingship that illustrates the futility of the strategy to be like other nations and believe that strong leadership will lead you in God's direction. And then finally, there's the era of the prophets that illustrates the futility of the strategy to provide harsh accountability as the way to stay on track. Those four eras in escalating ways illustrate the futility of humanity to live God's way so that by the end of the Old Testament, the people of God have been defeated and conquered and divided and exiled and are in a dark and dreary place where suddenly the New Testament emerges and the surprising twist appears in the person of Jesus. And not just in his life on earth, but from a big picture perspective, the fact that God, out of his love for humanity, did for us what we couldn't do on our own in sending Jesus to live and die and rise again. And because he did, he made his risen Holy Spirit available to be able, as we've learned this past month, to unify and empower forgiven followers of his to now live out the upward spiral of this era of restoration called the church, all the while leading to the eventual day where, as it says in the very last pages of the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, Jesus will reappear and return to establish his new heaven and new earth, the new creation that's even better than the first creation in the book of Genesis. 
I would hope that someone like Bobby could take a step back and appreciate that bigger picture of the Bible so that most of all, they can gain the focus of the Bible. Because every story has a focus, and that focus is found in the surprising twist. And in the case of the story of God's activity throughout human history, that focuses on the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus actually taught this to religious people in his day as recorded in the Bible. It says in John chapter 5, Jesus says, You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. He says to scripturally rooted people in his day that they're missing the point because they can't focus on the ultimate message of the scriptures, driving them to the promised Jewish Messiah in the person of Jesus. And once you can gain the focus of the Bible, then you can start to make sense of it better because you can all of a sudden understand the context of the Bible. You can establish some context, especially for the difficult passages in the Old Testament. Because if you can take that step back and appreciate that the one story of God's activity focuses on the person of Jesus, then the Old Testament era going from bad to worse illuminates something different than the New Testament era of restoration. It's what the Bible refers to as the Old Covenant, the Abrahamic, the Mosaic, the Davidic covenants versus the New Covenant, the new way of relating to God that Jesus intended to establish by grace through faith in in him alone. It says in the New Testament in Hebrews uh, chapter 8 and verse 13, by calling this new covenant that Jesus established new, God has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. That's not to say that you take the Old Testament parts of your Bible and just rip out those pages. What it does teach, though, is that they contextualize. In the context of the bigger story of God's activity, you make sense of them in light of the focal point of Jesus. And then when you do, you can understand the point of the Bible that isn't to root you in Old Testament, Old Covenant ways of relating to God, but to drive you to the New Covenant, New Command of Jesus. That among other places, it's described this way in John 13, 34 in the Bible, where Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. It shouldn't surprise us that when the surprising twist is incarnate love, that the new covenant would be all about incarnating the very love of Jesus as faith-filled followers of his. And when that happens, all of a sudden you can view the Bible differently from front to back, because now through the lens of that new covenant, new command, you can embrace the themes of the Bible that you can see throughout where the whole Bible drives you to embrace that new covenant, new command in, in really beautiful ways. Jesus described this in his day to religious leaders in, among other places, Luke eleven forty two, where it says, What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you're careful to even tithe the tiniest income from your herb gardens to give, you know, 10% of, of the herbs that you collect. But you ignore justice and the love of God the whole time that you do. 
He says, you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect what he calls the more important things. See, Jesus boiled all 613 Old Testament Jewish laws down to one, to the two-dimensional love for God and love for people. And he hopes that people, as they become increasingly biblically rooted, will be able to appreciate the major themes and distinguish them from the more minor themes and not major in the minors. But to embrace this new covenant, new command, life of love and the major themes of mercy and grace and compassion and justice. Because as you do, then most importantly, you can discover your purpose in the Bible, in aspiring to live like Jesus by relating to him in that new covenant, new command kind of way. We see this evidenced in the Bible. In Acts 14, uh, 4 verse 13, for example, it says there that the members of the Jewish council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Jesus' original disciples like Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures that they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. See, the whole purpose isn't necessarily to become trained and rooted in the scriptures. It's to become people who increasingly resemble Jesus, who ooze that they've been and been close with Jesus, who defined himself as love incarnate. So it shouldn't surprise us that the whole purpose of a life of faith is to incarnate love to a greater degree which again is what the Bible teaches, among other places in Galatians 5, 6, where it says, in Christ Jesus, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. I want us to appreciate today that when you actually approach the Bible differently, you can gain and embrace the very heart of God in it. But one of the primary reasons that people miss the point of the heart of God through the Bible is because they actually mishandle the Bible. That there is, I want us to appreciate today, there is a more right and a less right way to handle the scriptures. First of all, we've got to appreciate that the Bible requires interpreting in order to, first of all, gain the original author's original intent to their original audience. That's how God breathed the scriptures through original authors who wrote to original audiences with original intents and purposes. And we've got to discover those to be faithful to the scriptures. We actually see that taught in the Bible, among other places, in 2 Peter 3.16, where Peter says of the Apostle Paul that some of Paul's comments in Paul's letters in the Bible are hard to understand. And those who are ignorant and unstable have twisted his letters to mean something quite different than he originally intended, just as they do with other parts of Scripture, and this will result in their destruction. Understand that the first rule of understanding the Bible is determining in those 66 books what the original author intended originally to say to their original audience on God's behalf and then to bring that to life and apply it to yourself today. And then rule number two or approach number two is to see everything through the big picture of the single story of the Bible and through the focal point and lens of the redemptive arc centered on the person of Jesus. 
understanding the original author's original intent to their original audience and centering everything through the filter and the lens of Jesus is how the Bible needs to be properly read. Uh, biblical scholar and Professor Haddon Robinson once said this in his most famous way, that a biblical text cannot mean what it never meant. A biblical text cannot mean what it never meant. You cannot just read the Bible like it's a newspaper or like it's a rule book, because if you do, you miss the point of the heart of God. And the result, depending on how you approach the Bible, is in kind of general brushstrokes, two very different approaches to a life of faith. On one hand, you can read the Bible a certain way, like a newspaper, like a rule book, in a way that produces what's known as a bounded set approach to faith. A bounded set approach, believing that the Bible is a rule book, tries to mine out of the Bible all the rules in order to create the boundaries of what it means to live a life of faith, what it means to be in faith versus out of faith. And the whole point of a bounded set approach to faith is to increasingly familiarize yourself with the rules so you can become increasingly familiar and strong with the boundary in order to stay in it and not out of it. Contrast that to what's known as a centered set approach to faith, where a centered set doesn't have a boundary because it doesn't need a boundary because a centered set is entirely focused on what's at the center. And the goal of a centered set faith is to actually fixate on the center, to learn more about the center, to familiarize yourself with the center, so that no matter where you find yourself in your journey, your goal is to take one step closer to the center that it's all about familiarizing yourself with the center and moving towards it. Well, appreciate that when you can take a, t a step back and embrace the big picture of the Bible and understand the focus of the Bible in the person of Jesus that provides the context, especially for the Old Testament, Old Covenant, that drives you towards the point of the Bible in the New Testament and the New Covenant that illuminates those themes throughout the pages of Scripture, ultimately for the purpose of becoming like Jesus, that the Bible intends to drive a centered set approach to faith where Jesus Christ himself is at the center. And the purpose of faith is to pursue Jesus at the center and take steps closer to Jesus in every single day. That the Christian faith based on the Bible is rooted in Jesus, not ultimately in the Bible. It might shock you to know that the Bible actually teaches that about itself. Look at what it says in John chapter 1, 1 and 2. It says there, in the beginning was the Word, the Word of God, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. See, the big picture of the Bible focuses not on an it. It focuses on a he. Christianity focuses not on a text. It focuses ultimately on a person and ultimately on an event, the death and resurrection of the person of Jesus Christ. It's less about the written word as it is about the living word, that the written word is only a means to the end to embrace the living word that is the person of Jesus. And so 
if we root ourselves properly in a proper approach to understanding and reading the Bible, we can fixate on the person of Jesus at the center and personally and together pursue his way of life to a greater degree, embracing his new covenant, new command law of love. And when I say that, especially for the Bobby, the Bible-believing Christians in all of us, um, we may get our back up because when we hear that this is all ultimately about love, we can assume that what I'm talking about is some kind of 1960s, like, hippie version of love where nothing else matters and there's no morality attached to that. As a result, we can kind of write that vision of faith off, feeling like we actually are approaching a life centered on Jesus and his love as a low bar or a low value of the scriptures. I want us to appreciate that nothing could be further from the truth, that Jesus, more than anyone, had a high view of the scriptures. He said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus intended to realize all of the scriptures through him and his life of love. It's just a matter of whether we understand what is the means to the end and what is the end, because ultimately we're invited into a way of life of following Jesus as the living word, not just rooting ourselves in the written word. And so, beginning today and for the next subsequent six weeks, we want to do a deep intensive dive into the Bible to discover how to do just that, how to live with Jesus at the center and embrace more of a centered set faith than a bounded set faith. And to do that, we're going to start first things first with embracing a higher view of the scriptures. We want to encourage everyone, first things first, to, during this series, read the Bible more often. And to do that, for starters, we're going to make a Bible reading plan available today. Uh, you can go to your spiritual practices tab on the website uh, or on your app, and uh, you can follow through the daily readings from the book in the Bible called the Book of Mark, the biographical account of Jesus' life written by Mark. Uh, or if you're attending in person today, uh, you're going to receive a bookmark that has the 30-day breakdown uh, written on it for you to follow along. As well, if you're an emerging gen person between the ages of 18 and 29-ish, we've got a short-term small group that we're offering this fall uh, to learn how to read the Bible for all it's worth. And I'd encourage you to go to the Life Groups tab on your app and to sign up for that today. I want to encourage everyone, though, to read your Bible, to apply the SOAP process, the scripture, observation, uh, application, and prayer practice that we've learned and how to read the Bible, to read the Bible in community with friends and family and to discuss it with your life group, and more than anything, to make sure that you take what you're reading and apply it to your life. Because as it says in the Bible in James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. At the end of the day, this is not intended to be a newspaper or a rule book. It's intended to reveal the person of Jesus and to be more about our transformation than our information. So we hope that you'll join us. We hope that you'll bring others into the conversation in the next six weeks as we discover what it means to live a biblically rooted life of faith that is centered on the person of Jesus in a centered set, not bounded set kind of way.
And as a spoiler alert, especially for the Bobby Bible-believing Christians in all of us, we are going to try to contrast what a faith described as a bounded set looks like compared to what Jesus invites us into in centering our faith and life on him. And we're going to try to discover what it means to get faith right, which has less to do with getting the Bible right than it does to do with getting Jesus right and getting his life right and getting his love right and getting his essence right in our lives. First things first, though, today, I just want to appreciate that to center our lives on Jesus requires the highest view of Scripture, not a low view of Scripture, and requires us to use the Bible properly in order to get there. We just have to understand today what it means to use the Bible properly and what the Bible is ultimately for. You know, one of the most famous passages in the Bible about the Bible is in Psalm 119, where it says this in verse 105, says that God's word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. That's why the word of God is so significant, because it's a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. But here's the question. What does a lamp for our feet do? And what does a light for our path do? It simply serves as a guide to point to a destination. The lamp and the light are not the destination itself. The lamp and the light are the guide that help us get to the destination. Let's not confuse the means to the end and the end. Let's not confuse the written word with the living word. And let's become increasingly biblically rooted so that we can discover the Jesus in the scriptures and so that we can better embrace personally and together as a family the journey of putting Jesus at the center and pursuing his way of life, discovering for ourselves his new covenant, new command, law of love. Let's pray together. Jesus, we're really excited about this journey that you have us on as we try to pursue the bullseye that you've intended of what a life of faith is all about. I pray that you would help us to realize today that the bullseye is all about you and that the reason the bullseye is all about you is because of the truth contained in your written word. Help us to appreciate that the Bible is in fact God-breathed, but help us to understand what that means and what it requires of us to handle the Bible properly in order to discover you to a greater degree. And I pray that as we do that, as we discover how to handle the Bible properly, that we will find you in fuller and deeper ways than we ever have before, and that we can experience your life and love to a greater degree for ourselves so that we can become like you to a greater degree as we put you at the center. Jesus, we're thrilled with the journey that we get to be on. Help us to use the Bible as a lamp for our feet and as a light for our path to discover you knowing that you are faithful to reveal yourself and to transform us into your likeness. For that's why you came to earth, to incarnate love, and you want to do that among us. So we look forward to watching you do that in the weeks to come and pray that we would give you credit, Jesus, for when you do. We love you and we thank you for all these things. In your name we pray. Amen.